Well, as I mentioned in the previous lesson, if I sound like a foghorn, that's, uh, not, that's not me, although some might disagree with that, but that's not me nonetheless. It is good to be back here. I guess it's been 10 years or more since I last visited here, and that's too long. I should have been back before now, and I'm sorry I wasn't. But it's good to uh, be back here, and uh, I want to also thank, as I also say in my reports, for the financial assistance that you've given me in Branson. You know, there's a saying I picked up not many months back, uh, time is like a river. You cannot touch the water twice because the flow will never pass again. Well, that's what I'd like to speak on this morning would be the subject of time. Now, those of you that have read my reports know that my wife and I were both widowed when we married. Uh, kind of picking up where I left off, I covered the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes in the previous lesson a while ago. Well, let's look what it says in chapter 3. This was taken from a, well, um, actually a song came out of this, or those who you remember, a pop group called The Birds. They did a, uh, they did a song on this saying uh, it was a, to everything there is a season. And then he says, uh, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. The song was turn, 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 you may remember, some of you. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break up and a time to, uh, break down rather, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And the group adds in the song, I swear it's not too late. Of course, it was back during the Vietnam War. Well, we see that there are two necessary points to be seen in these verses for people of all ages. First of all, God meant for things to be done at a certain time. Some things were obviously, as we read, not to be said and done at certain times, which would lead into point number two, really the same as point number one, where it says there is a time and place for everything, as Solomon said very plainly, under the pen of divine inspiration. We know that there is a time for all four of the seasons. On an average, uh, gradually melting from one season to another, sometimes it's a sudden turn, but as a general rule, it'll be melting where you get heat, uh, the heat of summer that gets in the fall and then the winter and then the spring and then the cycle starts all over again as we have seen ever since the world started and God said it would be that way after the flood. There would be the cold and the hot and the seasons would continue. We know there's a time when the sun shines and when it doesn't. There's a time when rain falls and when it doesn't, when snow falls and when it doesn't. And God set the very course of time into nature itself and the laws of nature. 
When Paul was speaking his famous sermon on Mars Hill, he said in Acts chapter 17, 24 through 26, this, as he's talking to the men of Athens, Greece, those that were deep into idolatry and philosophy, and no doubt were wondering, who is this God that he's talking about? Because he walks along uh, Athens, and he, and he sees all these uh, shrines, and, and his soul stirred within him, seeing how the city of Greece, that was the very center of idolatry, appeared to be at this time. And here's what he has to say as he's noticing this one plaque that says the unknown God. There was nothing up there. It was just simply a plaque. My late father made the remark, they put that up there just so they would make it a point not to leave out any God. Well, here's what he says here. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing as he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." I remember my late father, both of my parents are deceased. I was kind of born late in the game, so I didn't have my parents many years. But he made the statement one time on verses such as this, that God set all of his laws into nature with the timing on each one and the boundaries, that is to say the limitations of it. And each and every time, he told me, at the age of 16, not because I had done anything wrong at this particular time, but just trying to give proper advice as a godly father, he says every time, each and every time, Time without fail that you go against those laws, you've got trouble. And that's exactly what happens whenever sin comes into the picture. Then I remember a phrase that's also part of our lesson this morning when uh, my folks, especially my mother, was trying to get me off to school. I'm the youngest of four boys, having been raised, born and raised in St. Louis. And she would say, time waits for no man. Now, she didn't wear the phrase out, but she would say it time to time and trying to get us kids off to school on time. Time continually passes undisturbed and uninterrupted. It is unstoppable, nor can time so much as even be slowed down. Man, no man, has any type of control or regulation of time bar none. Time, we may say, is its own boss. It is a self-working, universal, independent force that knows positively no locks, no chains, or no restraints. Time cannot be bridled or lassoed. Why? Well, I think we can figure that out. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that God has control of time and I for once and I for one am glad of that I'm glad there are some things in this life that mankind sinful mankind cannot mess up cannot alter cannot get control of it like the control freaks I mentioned in the previous lesson God has total control of time so again God set time when he set in order all the things pertaining to every person, place, and thing. That is to say, all races of people, places, and things. You can see still pictures and videos and DVDs. You can see all of showing that God has control of time and sees that time moves on no matter what. Because what are you seeing? What are you seeing in those movies and those still pictures? Frozen in time. And that's how it looked at that time, but then moved on. And then the people and places in there either wear out, they die, or else they're, uh, they, uh, they're 
Uh, they're old right now. You know, Jesus himself tells us that we must adjust our lives to this commodity known as time. In John 9, 4, he said this to a group of people, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Now, this has both a literal and spiritual application. I think we would agree. Jesus himself had to use proper use of the time allotted to him by his heavenly Father on earth. Paul mentioned in one of his letters about when the fullness of time, when the time came, when it was in the proper time, that's when Christ was sent to the earth. Also, we know that time, or rather that nighttime, does not abide long any more than daylight does. It continually comes and goes. I mentioned when I spoke on Ecclesiastes a while ago about how the sun continues to rise and set. That's another day gone each time that sun's gone down. Whichever part of the world you live, on, uh, live in, that time has come and that time is gone. Plus, there are many things, that, as we all know, that the night prevents us from doing or else makes it very difficult for us to do, which daytime would otherwise show, um, would show otherwise. And Paul also recognized, uh, recognized how important time was because he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.21, Do thy diligence to come to me before winter. There were some parchments that he told uh, Timothy to bring to him, and there was a specific uh, time deadline, more or less, we can say, that had to be met there. Now Paul, in quoting from Isaiah 49.8, said this in 2 Corinthians 6.2, because now is the accepted time, because now is the day of salvation. This is what we try to get across to those that we're trying to teach the truth to, or else know uh, of those that we speak to that, who know the truth. We're trying to get them to obey God before it is everlastingly too late. Now we find an example of a person where God tried this, or rather where Paul tried this, uh, under the, uh, under the Holy Spirit, where he said in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 through 27. Now, it's something that you read here that a lot of times when a person is in a high um, authority, they don't often listen to the Word of God. And elsewhere, Paul said that very thing. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But in Acts 24, verses 24 through 27, here's what we read. And after certain days, when Festus came... Make that Felix came in with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. There appeared to be a sort of an interest here for a while. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. It had struck a chord, no doubt, and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And from according to the divine record, as far as the divine record is concerned, there never came a convenient season. We read on where it says he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loosen. We see some politics here involved. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two days, Portius Festus came unto Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, giving in to politics, giving in uh, to peer pressure, it says, left Paul bound. Unfortunately, from, uh, uh, from what the divine record shows here, there never came a more convenient time uh, for Felix. And so that's, um, it, it goes back to what Paul says, now is the expected time, now is the day of salvation. 
Well, in Luke chapter 16, you see one of the many parables of Jesus. Some have argued whether it's a parable or, or not, but either way, speaking Speaking of from of the standpoint of Christ, it had to be true, whether you would call it a parable or not. We'll say story here to solve all troubles on this part. The rich man and Lazarus. He says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This is how he was obviously living his life. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now notice the very opposite it was for the rich man and Lazarus in the next life as compared to this life. The shoe was on the other foot. The tables were completely turned. And is there life after death? Well, it says here that both of them died, but look about the rich man. He died and in hell he lift up his eyes. You're not like the little dog rover dead all over. There is another life. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar, uh, afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, now I said the shoe was on the other foot, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, the very one he would have nothing to do with, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. That's all he asked for was just the tip. And cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But, son, but Abraham said, Son, now here's an awful word that haunts many people in eternity and will. Remember. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. Remember how you treated Lazarus? And likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Lazarus was on the outside looking in in this life. The rich man is now on the outside looking in in the other life. And it's a sad situation, we would agree. Ultra sad, eternally sad. And beside all this, because us, uh, between us and you there is this great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Well, you and I both know that no one in their right mind would want to cross from the paradise part into Tartarus, as the term is used here in the temporary, in the waiting place. But even if one wanted to, they couldn't do it. Then he said, well, he, he tries another approach here. I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send me, uh, him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Well, that's not even the case. And he said unto him, if they, heard, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We find that this is a tragic example of how all of those who are lost in hell and will be lost in hell will have plenty of time on their hands. They will have, you might say, if, it, if the phrase makes sense, timeless time because it will be all of eternity to regret because going back to the main theme of the lesson, they did not make proper use of their time on this earth, did not live properly as God would have them live and wasted their life. And when you waste your life, you'll waste your time. Then we find here in Ecclesiastes, going back to that book, 
Uh, if you haven't already discovered, that's my favorite Old Testament book. In chapter 11 and verse 3, Solomon says, now look at the analogies here. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if, uh, if the tree fall toward the north or toward the south, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Once the clouds empty out, that's the end of those particular clouds. Oh, yes, other clouds come along, but that's the end of those particular clouds. They exist no more. Once the tree is sawn down or falls down, you can't take that tree and set it back on the trunk and expect it to fuse together. Nature just doesn't work that way. And so the illustration is here that death is final. Maybe some of you have seen signs on the highway, I saw one coming back from Springfield towards Branson. A lot of you know Springfield's just a, about 40 miles from Branson. And it said, death is forever. And how true that is, whether you're talking about physical or spiritual death. Death is final. It seals one's eternal destiny, whatever it be. There is no turning back, not ever. Now we go back to Ecclesiastes 3 again and look at verses 19 through 22. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. In one sense, a man's not privileged over beasts. Well, even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. Not in this case. For all is vanity. All is temporary. All go unto one place. That's the grave. All are of the dust and all turn to dust again, as Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Everything that we do in life, with the exception, of course, of our eternal destiny, stops at the grave. All education, all knowledge, all wisdom where the world is concerned, everything that we gather in life, as I mentioned in the previous lesson, it stops at the grave. Now let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and then we look at verses 1 through 10 to kind of bolster the argument here. Solomon says, For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before him. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. No matter who one uh, is, no matter what the individual is, no matter who they are, no matter what occupation they may have, regardless of the social standing, he goes on to say there is an evil thing that is done unto the son, that there is one of it than them all. Also the, son, uh, the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that, where do they go? the good the evil they go to the dead for to him that is joined to all the living there is hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion well but that lion's bigger than the dog no not if the lion's dead he isn't the dog's better off than the lion because the dog's alive 
For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. I also mentioned in the previous lesson a while ago in Ecclesiastes, after you're gone for a generation, you're forgotten about unless you uh, uh, somehow make a big name for yourself in this life, like Mr. Washington or Mr. Lincoln. But otherwise, you're going to be forgotten about. That'd be so depressing if we didn't have a better life to look forward to. We're all going to be forgotten about a generation after we pass because the generation that knew us, they're going to die as well. And also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. That's all going to die with them. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. But on a more positive note, Solomon says, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for now God accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, symbolic of, of clean living, and let, thy, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. It's all going to be limited. The time's going to be gone one day. All the days of thy vanity, because, well, uh, once again, vanity meaning a temporary life, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, it's in one of our hymns, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. When physical life quits, that's the end of time for you and I. Regardless of how long we live, even if we live as long as Methuselah, it mentions in Genesis, he lived 969 years, most of us knew that. Sooner or later, life is going to come to an end, which leads us into the next point. Time ages, we don't like that part, but I know it's there anyway, and ends all physical things. Nothing physical or material stays young and new. Everything and everyone in this world grows old and wears out, bar none. Nothing lasts. We sometimes talk and say, or I've heard it sometimes said in rare times in my life, we're killing time. You want to know something, brethren? <laughs> Time's killing us. And little by little. When Job was going through all of his misfortunes and his sufferings, he said in Job 14, 1 and 2, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower, like a baby, and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. That's how fast time passes. Therefore, that's how fast life passes. Then in verses 10 through 12 it says, But man dieth and wasteth away, goes back to the dust from where he came, as we'll read in a little while. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. For how long? Till the heavens be no more, obviously the end of time, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Once gone, gone forever, as long as this earth stands. Old age and death happen to all who live long enough. And we may not as be, uh, well be egotistical about it. I myself am not a spring chicken anymore. Next month, Lord willing, I'll be 71 years old. And you look back, and how did it pass? Those of you in here like me that are a senior citizen, just like that, wasn't it? It all seems like yesterday. That is what time does. That is how time passes. 
Aging takes place. And the only way that any individual, any individual without exception, beloved, is not going to grow uh, old is to die young. So how do they say? Consider the alternative. You know, Jim Stafford in his show in Branson used to say, every day above ground is a good day. And how true that is. But old age happens. It is so gradual. And it's happening right now even as I talk. Well, now, what about the beautiful words that um, King Solomon has to say concerning the passing of time? He starts right at the beginning with youth. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days, not talking about bad things, but talking about, that is to say, not talking about wicked people or wicked things, but just the problems that you have that come along with growing old. While the evil days come not, you haven't reached that point of old age yet, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You got all the aches and pains and troubles that go along with getting older. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars, talking about the youth there, be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. I mentioned how the clouds drop the rain, and it's just one set of clouds that come with one set of rains after the other. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, that's the body parts. And then, and the strong men shall bow themselves. You once walked straight, now you walk bent over. And the grinders, that's the teeth there, cease because they are few. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. The eyesight becomes dim. And the doors shall be shut in the streets. Many people become uh, uh, shut-ins. When the sound of the grinding is low, that's having few or no teeth left. Someone, <laughs> once a little girl was asked, what do they call the final teeth that you have? Expecting the teacher to hear her say permanent. She said false. And it says, uh, the door shall be shut in the street, sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. What used to uh, be hard to attract your attention, what didn't used to bother you is what I meant to say, is uh, now bothers you. You're more bo easily bothered than what you're used to. And it says, all the daughters of music shall be brought low. The voice is not what it used to be. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, things that didn't... Um, uh, climbing hills and uh, mountains like that that you could be uh, able to do when you were young. Now you can't because you've grown old. And then he goes on to say, fear shall be in the way what used to not bother you and now bothers you. And the almond tree, that's the gray hair, it shall flourish. The grasshopper shall be a burden against uh, what used to be easy to do is either impossible or harder to do now. Desire shall fail. That's been argued in one sense about the sexual desire. Other times it's been argued that you just don't feel like doing anything anymore because you're too, uh, too old to get up and get around like you used to. Because man goeth to his long home. That's the passing from this life. And the mourners go about the streets. There's your funeral train. Or ever the silver corn be loosed or the golden bowl be broken. That's the various body parts that wear out. Or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, the wearing out of the heart. Then what finally happens, King Solomon, as we read earlier, then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. This is what happens with the passing of time, wearing out the physical body. You know, we all write our own book. We write it chapter by chapter and page by page. And you know, the only psalm that Moses wrote was Psalm chapter 90. And it has been read at many a funeral. I myself have read it at some. And chapter 90, verses 9 through 12, I don't say it's the only one he wrote, but that's the only one that's recorded in the Bible. He says this. 
He says, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. I just said we, told, uh, he, uh, we tell our own story. The days of our years, generally speaking, there's exceptions to the rule, are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, even if you really wax old in age, as we, as we sometimes say, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. You just don't have the strength that you once had, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear? So is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was about ready to die. Uh, secular history says that he was uh, beheaded by Nero in Rome. And in, and in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he says, For I am now ready to be offered... For the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also that love, uh, also the, those that love is appearing. Now he said, I'm ready to go. The time has come. His time was uh, at the end of, uh, well, it was the end of his life here. Then in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul tells the brethren there, See then that ye walk circumspectly, that's very carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's what the, and, and that's the same thing that you find in, in uh, Colossians 4, 5. You know the way some people conduct their lives? You think they thought they were going to live forever. But your Bible, I'm sure it doesn't read any different from mine, says another verse that we have heard at many a funeral. James 4, 14. Very sad words there. For what is your life? It is like a vapor which appeareth for a short time and then disappeareth. But then that leads us to our last point. One day time will run out. One day time will be no more. Therefore, time will be gone, and it will be gone forever. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and reading through verse 14, here's what we see about the end of the world. Nothing is said here about any premillennialist belief. This second epistle, Peter says, Beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, that's been, that's, we've been in the last days since Pentecost, the final dispensation, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? How come God hasn't come back again? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning at the creation. Now, you know, that's the, pro, uh, uh, the uh, sad situation many create in their lives. Because something hasn't happened yet, such as the end of time, they think it's never going to. I wonder how many thought that of 911. For this they willingly are ignorant of all. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, talking past tense, of course, and the earth standing out of the water and in water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, we know, of course, talking about the flood in Noah's time, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now the ones you and I are living in, by the same word are kept in store, 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But he warns us here, beloved, because he says just that as he's, uh, as he's writing to them. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is totally eternal, and one day is the same as a million years, a thousand years, as he says here. Time means nothing to God is the whole point. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise by the end of time coming, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The only reason, from what I can get out of this personally, beloved, is that the reason time has not come yet is to give man, or rather the end of time, is to give mankind a chance to obey and come to God before it is everlastingly too late. Well, what's going to happen at the end? Is there going to be a warning? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. There's not going to be any email. There's not going to be any texting. There's not going to be any Western Union telegram. And in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. It'll be an attention getter. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Sometimes we talk about not having a leg to stand on. There will be an earth to stand on at the end of time. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or manner of living and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto, looking forward to it, the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein, again he says, the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Sometimes we've heard the term hot knife through butter. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Serious things to consider here. Time will one day run out. It is running out now like a wound-up clock because time is temporary. We grow old and we weaken. We have aches and pains. We bury our loved ones. If we live long enough, we see others grow old and bury their loved ones. And then finally, one day, we die. That Then we are only a memory. And finally, the earth dies. It's all gone. It's just no more. It is destroyed. And when all is gone, only two things will be left, brethren, our souls and eternity. I'd like to conclude here by reading a song from the late Grand Ole Opry star Roy Clark. He performed some in Branson, and he's like you could say the friend of a friend. I can't say I knew him, but I did get to talk to him one time through a friend that uh, is a singer there, Doug Gabriel. He got me backstage after one of his shows because he sang this song. This, uh, this, was a, this was a big hit for him, and it was called Yesterday When I Was Young from 1973, and then the invitation will be offered to anyone who may need to be baptized into Christ as our own Savior said in Mark 16, 16, and as Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 38. Seems the love I have known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game, the way an evening breeze would may tease a candle flame. 
The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned, I always built to last on weak and shifting sand. I lived by night and shunned the naked light of day, and only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday when I was young, so many happy songs were waiting to be sung, so many wild pleasures lay in store for me, and so much pain my dazzled eyes refused to see. I ran so fast that time and youth at last ran out. I never stopped to think what life was all about, and every conversation I can now recall concerned itself with me and nothing else at all. Yesterday the moon was blue, and every crazy day brought something new to do. I used my magic age as if it were a wand and never saw the waste and emptiness beyond. The game of love I played with arrogance and pride, and every flame I lit too quickly, quickly died. The friends I made all seemed somehow to drift away, and only I am left on stage to end the play. There are so many songs in me that won't be sung. I feel the bitter taste of tears upon my tongue. The time has come for me to pay for yesterday when I was young. Well, Sue, I hope the souls of Harold and Linda rest in peace. While together we stand and sing.